Good morning, all. How are you all? All right? Yeah, excited? Yeah. Don't know what about, but good. I'm glad you are. Uh, so we, uh, just before we get going into this, um, first thing is my watch is set for 5.50 tomorrow morning because it is tomorrow morning that Chris Tatton, James Whiteley, Nick and myself are flying to uh, Oakland in California uh, off to predominantly go to a conference at Bethel church over there. So we are very much looking forward to that. Not so much the flying, the length of that flight, but it's okay. We've got lots of downloads. We are fortunate we're in that age. That's one exciting thing. Second one is Worship Fest. I thought it was really good. We, it, was, it was a good time. And I spoke to Kat Brown has led worship here before. She and her husband, Josh, are the pastors of the Bay Vineyard, or Bay Vineyard. And she spoke to me afterwards, they came to the first service, and she spoke to me afterwards and said, what happened at Worship Fest? I said, what do you mean? She said, something's different here this morning. It's like something has just changed. She said, you need to keep doing those Worship Fest. I picture the roof coming off and it almost being like a, a volcano of worship. Like, I don't know what one of them is, but I'll take that. So that is, that is good. Third is... Snow dogs. Loving the snow dogs. Who has seen a snow dog in Ashford? Okay. So yesterday, we did the rest of the snow dog trail, bar three, um, on our bikes as a family. And we bumped into a couple from Peterborough. And they had come from Peterborough just to do our snow dogs. They travelled down. They said there had been two other things like this. One was in Wales and one was something like Newcastle. And they said, we go to wherever they are. And we, arrived, and we said, well, welcome. You are in the best place in England, says Nick. I'm like, get in. So, uh, yes, that was really good. So people come from all over the place. I love the creativity. I love that idea. And, of course, it's raising funds for pilgrims too. That is three things because I amalgamated too, rather cunningly. We have been looking at being designed to prosper, leaving a poverty mindset behind. Poverty mindset is quite difficult to define, but basically it's any mindset we have that says, well, we think in God we should be broke. There's a good reason to be poor. It's an uncomfortable topic, but we are doing a little bit more on it today. And it is what to do with our money. So I'm giving you the answer sheet right at the beginning. So if I quiz you later on, it's brilliant. You all get an A star. It's amazing. And it is give, save, spend, invest. I'll spend a fair bit of time on giving, a little bit on save, tiny bit on spend. Dave's doing invest next week. So we're starting with giving. So this is Jesus speaking in the book of Luke. Jesus said, forsake or give up the habit of criticizing and judging others, and then you will not be criticized and judged in return. Don't look at others and pronounce them guilty. And you will not experience guilty accusations yourself. Forgive over and over and you will be forgiven over and over. Give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. Your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. Now what I love about this And this is something we're trying to keep going after. But what I love about this particularly is the way Jesus embeds talking about money and generosity right in the middle of a load of other things. So at times he does talk about money separately. But what I love is 
things like later on in the New Testament where it says, I pray that you will prosper as your souls prosper. In other words, there's like a general, I don't like the word prosperity. It's so laden with other meanings, but this is me speaking. But, but anyway, like there's, there'll be a, I pray you'll be rich in every way. This isn't just about money, but this is not not about money. So money comes as part of the package is effectively what I'm saying. So Jesus is saying, you look, stop criticizing others and then you won't get so criticized. Stop um, accusing others and then you won't keep getting accused. And be generous to others and you'll find that they'll be generous back to you. And he says, give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down to make room for more abundant gifts. It will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure. I love that. In the book of Psalms in the Old Testament is Psalm 23, where it says um, that he will, my cup overflows. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. It just speaks of the extravagance of God, that he doesn't stop the polite distance from the top of the receptacle that the fluid's going into. My cup overflows. He just like keeps pouring. God, it's reached the top. I know. Isn't this great? He says. It just keeps pouring out, just keeps flooding out. This is another bit in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So it's Paul's second letter. Paul's a super church planter man. And he wrote to the church in Corinth. And this is his second letter, chapter 9. Here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest. But the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to, here it is again, overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. Every moment, in every way, he will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do, I'm just skipping a few verses because of time, this generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it, so the harvest of your generosity will grow. You will be abundantly enriched in every way as you give generously on every occasion. For when we take your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. So I have a question for you, and that is this. It's not a trick question, so don't be scared, but I do want you to put your hands up. Um, the question is this. Do you believe, from what you understand, from what you have maybe read in the Bible, from what you've heard, that in a, a Christian, someone who has said some kind of yes to Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I'm committed to Jesus, whatever language you want to use, that if a Christian, when a Christian dies, can you put your hand up if you, from your understanding, think they go to heaven, you believe they go to heaven? It's not a trick question. So you believe that they will go to heaven? Yeah? Okay. So you believe that part of the Bible? Yes. Okay, that's good. In that case, we have to believe this part as well, right? Because this isn't... This isn't like a one-off random verse, literally one tiny verse that you've picked out and made mean something else. I've got two passages that I've just used. I could use stacks more. There are so many, and it's only time that's preventing us from getting to those other ones. See, and in me, this exposes a bit of what we've been calling this poverty mindset, a mindset that says, oh, 
I'm not sure how I feel about that. Am I all right that God is saying, I want heaven to start appearing in your life now? And just so you know, when you die, in the blink of an eye, actually, you'll just leave your body behind and you'll come and be with me forever. So I can believe that and I'm all right with that. I'm full of faith for that. But actually, what about being full of faith for this? If you look at what it says here, verse 8, halfway down the screen, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace. Now, just a quick clarification on the word grace. It's often misused and misunderstood uh, and confused with the word mercy. So the word mercy means when you don't get what you should have rightly deserved. We deserve the wages of sin is death, says the Bible. We all fall short of the glory of God. You know, even, even like if God were like up at the ceiling and we're all down here, even Mother Teresa would probably only get that far up the pillar in terms of God's purity, his joy, his love. It's incredible. So therefore, what should happen is we should be there should be a sense of a consequence, a punishment, but we don't get that. That's God's mercy. That's what mercy is. You don't get the thing that should be coming to you. You're being merciful. We were merciful to our eldest of our two uh, last night because she got three strikes, which means early bed. But actually, to be entirely honest with you, it was a little bit inconvenient for her to have an early bed last night. So um, we were merciful towards her. We had a chat with her about her behavior. And we said, we know this is incredibly rare, but on this occasion, there are no consequences, much like uh, God can be with us because Jesus has taken the consequences. We didn't get into, so is Jesus going to take my early night? No, no, it's just too confusing. So anyway, we were merciful towards her. Grace is something different. You'll see that in the start of many of Paul's letters, he starts, grace and peace to you. So grace is an empowering it's a giving something to you to empower you to do something. So when Paul says, the grace, you remember, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to you, and some churches they do, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And we do that. I mean, I used to do that in a church I used to be in. I'd always try and not be looking at anyone for the last, for the last one. So you'd look around grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Amen. Oh, they looked at me. I'm out. It's like, it was like a little game I played. It didn't mean anything to me. It, it was so childish in so many ways. At this time, I was a pastor. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to admit this, but I'd never wanted to actually be looking at it. Oh, yeah, three weeks in a row. Um, so, but we were required to say it. it was like this requirement that we said the grace. But anyway, the point is, grace is a giving. So if you look at this now, every time you see the word grace in the Bible, I want you to think of the word empowerment. Halfway down the screen, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of empowerment so that you will have more than enough of everything. Okay, now you might say, but I'm not actually sure he's talking about money there. Well, he has just been talking about generosity on the page before and about gifts so okay you can try and make it mean something else if you want the lovely thing is he's not just talking about money he says 
every form of grace. Can you imagine? God doesn't just want to give you every form of empowerment that you need. It says here, he wants to overwhelm you with every form of empowerment. And if you believe that going to heaven bit, then you can't be optional about the bits of the Bible we believe and the bits we don't. As I sometimes say, the Bible doesn't come with tipex. Sometimes you just have to wrestle these things out and go, well, do you know what? If God says that bit, then well, this bit must be true, but I have no idea what that looks like in my life. And do you know what? I feel a bit uncomfortable being overwhelmed with every form of grace, particularly if it's money. I don't want my cup to overflow. I want it to stop about halfway up because then I'm not really noticed and I don't have the responsibility. And really, I think we're all supposed to take a vow of poverty anyway and be broke. I don't want to, I don't want to be broke. Not even for me, but I don't want to be broke because then I can't help other people. I can't be generous. Supposing you had all the wealth in the world, in the world, and it was up to you who received that wealth. What are you going to do with it? I'd rather give it to someone who's totally surrendered to God and is listening for his voice. Because to be honest, not any one person can make that decision, where does that money go? I'd rather be listening out for what the Lord is saying. Where does that money go? Which means I want to be giving it to people who have said some kind of yes to him and are trying to follow him day to day. I'm like, you're a good person. I'll give money to you. But not if you've got the mindset, oh, no, 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 no. I just like to be broke. We talked last time, a couple of weeks ago, about tithing. And we said that tithing is where you give, you're given 100 pounds and you imagine it in 10 tenors type thing. And we said what God does, just like in the Garden of Eden, um, where he gave, them, he gave them every single tree, and he said, but don't touch that one. And it's not because there was anything amazing about that tree. It's because God was trying to see what their hearts would incline them to do. And when God gives us £100, which you might say, well, God's never given me £100, well, but he's given you the ability to work, and you have probably at some point earned £100, that principle is that God says, I've given you absolutely everything, even the breath in your body. What are you going to do with that bit? It's a heart test. It's not because God is short of cash. So often the tithe is first referred to returning the tithe, but giving is something quite different. So some people say, well, Chris, tithing, a little bit Old Testament. You've got the 400 years intertestamental period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Bible. And then Jesus comes and he does mention tithing. He does. It's true, etc. But actually, I prefer Paul's methodology. So you're like, OK, so you now have the choice. Do you go tithing? 10%. Do you go Paul? Incredibly generous. Your call. It's a money thing. If you think you're better off doing the 10%, go Old Testament. That's OK. That's fine. If you like... I don't think Old Testament. You're like, well, you go with incredible generosity then. I bet that's more than 10%. But I'm playing with you. It's okay. But anyway, the point is, some people say, well, I think it's Old Testament. Some of it's new. Do you know what? I think the principles remain. God has been vastly, overwhelmingly, stupendously, bonkersly generous with us. And he says, are you going to trust your money or are you going to trust me? So... On to save. So saving, 
We have a few, just a few verses here. This is really quick. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So spending, rather saving, I beg your pardon, is quite straightforward. And I, I go between these two extremes. You have two extremes of saving. This one, I don't have any savings. Nothing, nada, don't believe in saving. If you've got it, spend it. Can't take it with you, all that stuff. Actually, I'm really trusting God over here. There is that position as well, for a time. Over here, this is the, I spend as little as possible. I try and save everything. It's my security. I could get old one day. Well, we all will go old one day, hopefully. Um, you get old one day, I'm going to need this money. It's going to be a rainy day. Uh, that's why I've got it there. Now, the truth is, these people have probably, are probably putting their security in their bank balance. Probably. Not definitely. Likely. This person, by having absolutely no savings, means that it only takes one big bill or one something to come in, car to break, something, and you're suddenly a bit stuck. Now, God is incredibly generous. We can always go to him. We can pray, all kinds of things like that. But I think over the years, I have been in this camp. No, I give everything away. and No, 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 no like that. Uh, I was once given an incredibly generous gift years ago um, by someone of 13,000 pounds. And I gave away 12 of it and then didn't really have much food for a while. And it was just daft. It was just like, why did I do that? And I think I was trying to be super, super holy. And God's like, I'm trying to give you bread. You keep giving the bread away. So and that's that end. And then this end, it's that nervousness of where is your security? I'm fortunate in some ways I don't have loads and loads and loads of savings. So in, in some senses, that's great. I, I don't know how to have all that money and just not know it's, I'm okay because I know what my bank balance is. I want to be saying I'm okay because I know my father is. That's what I want to say, and that's probably my immaturity that can't handle like mega savings. We're talking like tens, fifties, hundreds of thousands. Say spending. Again, there are two ends of spending, and I've come across people who are both. You have the spend, 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 spend end, like a little bit reckless, profligate. So you're not really very careful. You're not really thinking ahead. You're not really planning. You've got no budget. It's like, it's payday. Woo! Let's go spend. Well, the point is, if you've made a budget, payday becomes a little bit irrelevant because all you're doing is just waiting for that money to get it. You've got it mapped out. It goes into different pots anyway. So there's no big deal. And then at the other end, you've got the people don't spend anything. They're probably up here with the savers, actually, with the super savers. Um, and in actual fact, they try and buy the cheapest of everything, um, I knew someone once who they would go, they would, I kind of commend it. There is an element of it in case any of you do this and you're about to be offended. But used to go around all the main supermarkets and do their weekly shop right at the close of play of all this. So knew the times of them all, how long it would take to get from one to the other, etc., just so they could get all the going out of date food. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for a bargain. But that person didn't have the freedom to spend the money normally. It was like they were almost bound to, I've got to get a bargain. I have to spend as little as possible. Um, 
We all love a bargain, or what can appear a bargain. I think when it comes to spending, the easiest thing to say is, firstly, let what you own and what you spend your money on speak of who you are. Let me say that again. Let what you own and what you spend your money on speak of who you are. If you're making notes, that is one to write down. If I could see, if you could see, everything that you've spent your money on over the last six months, what would it say of you? I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm simply saying, what would it say of you? When you do spend, do you spend with some care? Personally, I don't always go and get the cheapest thing. The cheapest thing isn't always the best thing. Nor is the most expensive thing either necessarily the best thing. Which is the best thing? Customer ratings are some of the best things. And actually, if the thing you need is a bit more expensive, get the right thing. Don't get the cheap thing. Get the right thing, which may be the cheapest. This is just a little 90-second video from Martin Lewis, moneysavingexpert.com. Anyone heard of him, know him, got his email, whatever? Yep. Um, so this is just a little video of his. Apologies, it's all distorted. It's off his website, but it's, it's all over the place. Um, and it looks like that on his website too. So the first step is to do a budget. But I don't mean jotting down just your basic spending. It is about sophisticatedly calculating where your cash goes and if you spend more than you earn. And here's how it works. You need to consider doing a budget a job of work. It's going to take you a good couple of hours to do it properly. First, gather your evidence. Bank and credit card statements are the most important because you have to go through to see what you've really been spending. Take food shopping. It isn't just your big weekly shop. It's all those other little trips for milk and bread that you might forget about. Take them from here, add them up, and work out your actual, genuine, real spend. The big mistake most people make when doing the budget is they try and think of a typical month. But of course, there's no such thing as a typical month. You don't buy a sofa every month. You don't go on your summer holiday every month. But these should be in your budget. Take Christmas. Nice. Typical festive spending, £600. For me, I divide it by 12. That gives me £50 a month. And that's what goes in the budget. A few years ago, I developed my own system. And it worked so well, I had it built as an automated tool. So anybody can do it. It's totally for free. And you can get it via our website. But just as important are the categories. Most people put car down on their budget, but you don't spend on your car. You spend on your breakdown cover, your car maintenance, your car insurance, your car tax, your parking, your petrol and diesel. It's about specifics, not the big generics. Now comes the moment of truth. Add up what you spend, add up what you earn, or press the button. Less than a quarter of people make any kind of budget whatsoever. The problem is, if you don't budget, then you don't know how much money you've got to be able to be generous with and to pay your bills with. So you might say, wow, Chris, this sounds super practical. Where did Jesus ever say about doing a budget? He doesn't, but he does talk about being a good steward. 
And a good steward of something, the very least you work out what it is you're supposed to be being a good steward of. If you're supposed to be a steward of some chairs, the very least you need to know is how many have I got? It's a very basic stewardship principle. So, one last thing, as well as let what you own illustrate who you are, I would say this to you, don't take on any debt that you can't afford to repay. Don't take on any debt that you can't clearly afford to repay with some buffers. Next week, Dave is going to be looking at investing, and there's a very simple key to investing, and that is this. I would love my money to be making more money while I'm asleep. That is the principle of how to generate more money, is get it doing it while you're asleep. In other words, it doesn't need me to be doing it hands-on in that moment, because I'm soon going to reach a finite limit. The absolute key to investing money is get it earning you money while you're sleeping. But Dave is going to talk much more about all that subject next week. So I've got three pie charts, hollowed out, albeit, but pie charts to show you. We have been talking about the giving these last few weeks. We've been talking about finance in general, and we've been running a bit of a sort of giving campaign alongside it. For about nine months, Nick and I have been wrestling this giving thing out with God. It's been uncomfortable. It's been awkward. We've been on our knees. We've been in tears, all kinds of things. We had the prophetic word from Julian Adams, and he said, I see a battle over finances over Asher Vineyard. And we're like, yaha, we know, we feel it. We absolutely feel it and, and live it. So we have been asking people, we have felt from God that we need to make some staffing changes and some other things. And all in all, we need about 50 grand more a year. So this is what we've been telling you for the last few weeks. So about 50 grand more in regular giving. So you go, oh, I remember saying to God when I thought 50 grand or felt 50 grand, oh, God, 50 grand, good grief. And then did some sums and worked out, as we've said, that for each person who comes regularly on a Sunday, that's five pounds more per week. If everyone did that, we would, and some of those people were able to gift aid, we'd be up near a 70,000. So of course some people can't. We understand that. We fully understand that. This graph is the number of known responses to the giving campaign so far. So I will say there could be some people who have responded and increased their giving and didn't feel a little slip in. And if you didn't fill a slip in, you won't appear on there. So there could be some others. But at the moment, it is 5% of people who come on a Sunday have responded that we know of in some way about regular giving. So that is 15 responses from 286 people. So this £50,000, with a bit of gift aid, we're about 7% there. This is as uncomfortable for me as it is for you. And then there's this one. This is the number of regular givers. It's really interesting that John Wimber, who started Vineyard Churches, said discipleship is spelled M-O-N-E-Y. And it's a really difficult subject, it, particularly in Britain 
We are just funny over our money. We don't like people to talk to us about money. You never tell people what you earn. It's a bit of a kind of a secret thing that goes on. My money is my business. Absolutely, your money is your business. But if you're following Jesus, all our money becomes his business too. So at the moment, of the people who regularly come on a Sunday, and there's a caveat with this one as well, about 30% of people give regularly. We've had to slightly estimate that because the number's actually lower, but we recognize that for some of those people, they give us a couple. Nick and I give one amount because we give together. So we've had to kind of work out roughly how many of those would be given from a couple. The number is about 30% of the 286 people. If there are any visitors here, then you can just listen to this and know that it's not your responsibility. We do not ever expect, you wouldn't ever expect your next door neighbor to be responsible for putting food on your table. That's just strange. And if you are expecting that, <laughs> then good luck with that. Uh, you might be going hungry for a little while. But what we've, what we've done is we, you could really help us out. These little slips, if you have changed your giving, we would still like you to fill one in in case, if you've already filled one in, please don't fill another one in. If you haven't filled one of these in, we would love you to fill one in because then we know, okay, so that person has pledged this amount. We know we can factor that in. At the moment, we have to wait two months because you see it increase one month in the giving and you go, is that just one of those weird things or has that actually gone up? You have to wait for the second month and a pattern starts to emerge. So that would really help us. As a church, I've looked around and I've asked and found out and asked other churches and things and said, what is the average giving per adult? What, what is normal? What's about right? And churches vary, and um, of course they do. But the very, very, very generalized rule, particularly across vineyards in the UK, is about £1,000 per person per adult, £1,000 per adult per year, very, very roughly. Now, some churches have got a lot more money because just because of the area they live in or whatever, some churches will have a bit less than that. I understand that. This is a, like a down-the-middle thing. So that is £286,000 a year, very roughly, we should be getting in. Let's say we're not in quite as a well-off an area. Let's go for 250000 We get about... 150,000-ish, give or take. We try and get money from grants and all kinds of other things. So we're just being really blunt with you. I have been on my knees before God. We have fasted about the money. We have felt gutted about the money. We have said, God, we don't know what more to do. We're as transparent as we can be. We do everything by the book. We do it right. We've got all kinds of people in place. We do everything we can. We got a grant in this week, just over four grand specifically for youth work. That's brilliant. And we're doing everything we can to try and get some of these grants in. Everything we can. Someone um, told me this week of a place you can write to. They only ever do it once, but you can write to them, they give you a grand. I'm like, oh, great. Excellent. What do I have to prove? No, nothing. Just tell them you're a local charity and they'll give you a grand. Mm, happy days. So we will be doing that. But this isn't, this is more than getting money, because we can always go and get grants and try and cover some more of the money. But what if John Wimber is right when he says discipleship is spelled M-O-N-E-Y? Then there's something about this that's awkward. 
And as we have gone through this teaching series on finance, however awkward you may have felt at times, and however much you may have felt like I or God are getting at you, it's nothing compared to how God I feel as I've read some of the Bible and I've studied this and gone, oh, wow, I've got so many things wrong in my own life. And I feel like that. I feel scared. I feel this. I feel, oh, do I hold on to money as a secure? I think I probably do hold on to, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Will you just keep releasing me from that? I just want to be more generous and fight back against this. I refuse to become like that, et cetera, et cetera. So, what we're going to do, with no music or anything, we don't want this to be an emotional thing. We just simply want everyone, please, to have a look at this. If you've already filled one in, don't fill one in. If you've already increased your giving and haven't filled one in, fill one in. If you haven't yet increased your giving and you feel you could fill one in, please, 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 would you consider just filling it in now? And then in about two minutes' time, we'll take them all in. I know some of you are like, where's my chocolate? You will get your chocolate on the way out of the door. So about two minutes, just get one of the slips, chat about it with your other half if, if you've got one and they're with you, grab a pen, and then in a few minutes we're just going to pray. Dave's just reminded me, please fill the back in for gift aid. We get an extra 25p in every pound at no expense to you, if you pay tax, that is. Just so you know, while the teaching series on money finishes next week, it's the last one, we're done with the giving. This is it. It's not going to be like every week you come. Oh my goodness, every week you're always asking for money. Uh, well, no, we could have had this done in a week, but we are stopping here anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> give what you're going to give. We'll take them all in. We'll celebrate that figure. Thank God for the money and move on from there. We'll stand and we'll pray if that's okay with you. Thank you, Father, so much that you model a crazy, crazy generosity to us. And I speak for myself, God, and I say I'm sorry to you for where I am not more generous, where I hold on to things for myself, where I treat money as a security, or where I have some kind of mindset that says, oh, it's just easier when I'm a bit poor. I don't have that responsibility. But God, I want to be able to be trusted with loads of money. And you speak to me and tell me where to put it and how we assign it and all kinds of things. And God, will you make us a generous-hearted people that we love, love, love to be generous, that we love to find increasing creative ways to be generous. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. Ashford Vineyard are delighted to partner with Christians Against Poverty who provide free, first-class debt support in Ashford. If you are struggling with debt of any kind, please call 0800-328-0006 to make an appointment to see a local Christians Against Poverty debt coach to start your journey to becoming debt-free. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.